0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone and welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the semi-finals preview edition. Uh, Big first week of finals last weekend. uh, Four big games on, two through to the preliminaries, two surviving to play in sudden death semis and two... Eliminated. Uh, we're here to preview what comes next in Act 2 of this ongoing finals drama and all associated things besides, as I say, a very good morning to my footyology podcast guys, Mr. Rodney Ead. How are you, Rocket? Hello, Ron. How are you? here
1: uh, yeah, it's probably the weirdest, uh program that's talking about the footy coming up. I've had a few <laughs> days of, of non-football talk, non-plane talk. So
0: i uh, looking forward to this round of football. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, very salient point. Pretty easy to forget there were actually four finals played uh, last weekend. In a in a nutshell, I, I felt like there were. I mean, there were a few surprises. Really, did we sort of get what we're expecting? Do you think? Um,
1: yes, I, I think so. Both the Melbourne and the Sydney game kind of gone the other way. They yeah, didn't take their chances. So both Collingwood and Carlton got lucky shot not the right phrase. I'd probably you can say they a pretty silent day, but. Could have easily lost those games. Uh, Port, uh, for various reasons, were the better side. Probably surprised was the ease of which GWS won. They went by a goals, but probably were a six or seven goal better side of the day and and looked good. Look, you know, now you, you, know, you certainly wouldn't want to be playing them. if thought, or that later you had some trepidation playing by the Giants. They so certainly got everything right at the right time. Hey,
0: just quickly, because there may not be room to talk about this when we drill down on either game. There's a very interesting phenomenon with semi-finals that I uncovered. So we've had 23 seasons of the current final eight. In the first 14 of them, 26 out of 28 qualifying final losers won the next week. One the next week, yeah. but since then it's only 10 out of 18. Oh wow! Okay. So I just wonder. I was thinking about it. My my theory is that maybe the the top eight is becoming more even top to bottom. Um, does the pre finals buy have an impact I, I don't know it's an interesting one uh, the pre finals buy probably doesn't have an impact at that stage
1: because they've both played the previous week that yeah time. Uh, in the past I think it's more your first point I think more even in the past the top four were probably clearly better than the, the next four so when they when they played uh, that that's well, this weekend's game but the loser was the top four side of generally week uh, but the 80s of the competition this year uh, will probably back up the last, wherever it is, the 10 of the last 18 games, so um, last nine years. So, you know, we're obviously young and obviously, yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult to pick.
0: Yeah, well, four of for the last five years, one qualifying final loser has survived and one has gone out in straight sets, so it's... Uh- it's real uh, uh, reality TV show stuff, isn't it? From Melbourne because they did it last year. Last yeah. year, yeah. So if I did it again, then uh,
1: headlines around. Let's let's make it more dramatic and uh, uh, yeah. So I was putting heat on them. That's for sure.
0: Well, there you go. Look, we just talked about actual football. Speaking about drama, though, plenty of that because it's been uh, tribunal capers aplenty over the last few days. A bit of other news around. Let's have a quick chat about that before we drill down on the serious business of finals. On Footyology News Feed. Well, in case you've been on Mars, uh, there's been a tribunal case uh, resolved. Well, maybe not resolved, but you know where I'm going with this. Braden Maynard of Collingwood cleared to play in a preliminary final after that uh, controversial and oft replayed incident involving Melbourne's Angus Brayshaw, who sadly was very badly concussed, knocked out cold for a couple of minutes and he's in serious, well, obviously out this week, but serious doubt for the rest of the season. So, um, Wow. Uh, we should mention before I forget. The other case w- was resolved at the tribunal under a win of sorts for Carlton with Jack Martin, his two-game suspension being downgraded to one. So if the Blues win this week, he will be available for their preliminary final. That was about the best they were going to get on that one. But Braden Maynard, uh, Rocket, look, you know, I was there on Thursday night. I saw it. I remember thinking, well, we're going to be talking about this for a bit. I've got to say, I didn't think we'd be talking about it to the extent we've talked about it. So we'll talk about that phenomenon, the reaction to it in a sec. But first off, uh, because we haven't we haven't done this since it all happened, what was your view of the incident? What do you think would have been an appropriate penalty or not penalty? Are you happy with the outcome? My first
1: thought can be... Uh... One of the the older people, the dinosaurs, that uh, I thought well, actually, I thought, oh, only not going to get that. That diluted a little bit when you hear other sides of the argument. I can understand um, uh, the outrage of some people, but uh, you know their views and, and it's polarised views. It's not how some people are really, they are black, and some people are really right and all that. Um, I think their views are more because Luke which has been concussed before. If it had been uh a Jack Viney or someone else like that where the same thing happened, I don't think the same outrage would have be been there. I think it's more people coming back from a uh the family point of view and Sean Smith and had concussion himself. Um I think it was a right decision. I think it was a right decision and that um, and the other thing too I had to say this perhaps as Braden hadn't carried on like he did at the start of the game and uh, and the way he goes about it, sometimes, like if it had been Markov uh, or someone else, I don't think the same outrage either. I think it's more, it's more the players in, this, in the pantomime.
0: Uh, so, so when when you say carry on, are you talking about how immediately he was saying? Oh, it was No, no, game? no. Previously, at the start of the game, where he's roughing players up, and oh,
1: right, yeah. jumpers and yeah, going yeah. around, uh, you know, now that's sort of, I suppose, histrionics, which yeah, now, now the tough man image and yeah. doing that. Uh, and then that was happening and then this happened straight afterwards. So people are putting one and one together and getting five. I don't think there was a deliberate action. Uh, it was he jumped up and they had all the time that, you know, mechanics and said whatever well, time fighting it. yeah, millimeter. Uh, point point seconds.
0: one point one five seconds it was claimed, like I think.
1: Yeah. To, able to, uh, to make a decision where oh, I know myself, you you, you just instinct you just do things. You're not you know, there's no thought process, oh I'm gonna can it into so I know the result was bad as far as what happened to Angus, but uh, I don't think there was any. Yeah, I there's there was no intent, no malice in it. I don't mean, know. We can do careless. I understand that. But I just think it was a football action. I keep I going back to, on well, it's a separate incident. People say you can't compare apples and oranges. But what Gary Rowland did to Jeremy Cameron, and he knocked him out, nothing was really said about that because he was a teammate. But that was probably worse in many ways because he's he's hitting with a shoulder and a and a hip hitting into the head and knocked him out. So um, it shows that football accidents can really happen on the football field, and that's, that, and that's what I was going with that. That incidents and accidents actually happen. So uh, for me, I think it was a lot, of show.
0: I, I agree with all that. Um, I I think there was absolutely no malice. I think it was a a, a pure uh, football action and attempted smother. My my reservation about it all is that there's always this I think different set of standards applied at this time of year than were at round eleven or twelve. And by different set of standards, I don't just mean how it's judged, but I think the extent to which Collingwood went to defend it, you know, I reckon if it's round eleven or twelve, they probably just take a a one game penalty and 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 get on with the business. Whereas this, you know, you've got four hours of evidence and scientific experts and my has gone around to the brochures with a bunch of flowers and uh we, we, you know, which, like, yeah well apparently well yeah was, <laughs> there was a there was a pretty good line from caroline wilson who said apparently the flowers didn't make it to the vase <laughs> um so that that didn't go down too well but you know the the different level of emphasis placed on it now, for obvious reasons, I, and I think that's just for obvious reasons because you're like buying shit stations, will we? But it shouldn't yeah. be the case, is my point, should it? If we're if we've got a, a fair income judicial system, yeah, yeah, completely yeah, full of integrity, yeah. it shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. No, no, no. But you will say so the judicial system, what your initial
1: thought was, or what the length of Collingwood would go to? Yeah, So yeah. it's probably more the club and uh, them seeing it as a sort of new wall. Now, if he gets, if he got three weeks, say, in round eight, they'll probably fight that, get a yeah. the week, they cop, it, move on. But in a final series, well, and that's why they fought for Jack Martin, because he gets off, they get one the week less. You now, it means a lot more than it is in round eight. So I think clubs will do whatever they can to actually get their
0: best players playing on the final series. So w- w- the, the reaction already, we're recording, I stress, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. So it's obviously not inconceivable the AFL may appeal the decision and it keeps going. Uh, Other than that, it's done and dusted. But the reaction has been really polarised, as you'd expect. Uh, The one that really struck me was Sean Smith, uh, father of current Melbourne player Joel Smith, but one of the most visible faces of the um, post-career concussion issues that have really damaged people's lives. And uh, Sean Smith posted on his Facebook page, AFL, you're an embarrassment and an absolute joke. Absolutely disgusting. The AFL are a disgusting organisation. This thug KOs someone potentially ending their career and he gets off. Now, I think that's over the top. Very, very emotional though. But you, you can see, can't you, that the people who have been touched by this horrible... um you know, concussion syndrome that has blighted so many lives, how they feel so passionately about it.
1: Yeah, they do. And and, and Sean is like that. And I was at North Melbourne, just just a concussion for three or four years, and Sean was there. And a super courageous player would throw himself in the air with, with no fear or favour. Uh, and a lot of his concussions were hitting in the ground, um, and he had a lot of concussions. So he's thinking along those lines, and he's saying what the effect is, and his marriage, and how he feels. But and I think he's feeling for Angus because he's had he's had concussion issues himself, Angus. Yeah. But I think we're going to judge each each action uh, on its on its merits rather than put them all in the same bucket. And as I said, that Gary Row with with Jerry Cameron, Jerry Cameron had had all, all, all that was McCartan, and he was a teammate. Gary Rowan was playing in Sydney, and he hit Paddy McCartan. That'd be career over, but nothing happens. I mean, some incidents happen on the list here, and I think this is one of them. As I said, if it, if it wasn't the two um, players in this pantomime, you know, if it wasn't Maynard, if it was, it was Marcos on Jack right nothing would have been, it would have said, I was football, no doubt in my mind. Now, it was Toby Green, he would have been drawn, and caught it. Um, but I think we judge the character to much, and as your point about what Collingwood or what teams would go to in the finals, why have a judicial system, which the same, but as human nature, media, and then we judge on the individual. Uh, maybe a kind court at times. and um, I think putting it in isolation isn't bad. I don't think there's any malice. Certainly not, and I don't think he was careless either. To be honest,
0: I think there's two other issues we need to talk about here. One is I think there's, and I I think it's understandable. I think there's a paranoia on the part of the AFL about the potential. Honestly, I doubt about that. Kind of class actions on concussion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they are going to, you know, cross every T and dot every I when it comes to this thing. And this, by going over the head of the MRO and taking to it, drive paternal, it at least allows them to say, well, we gave it full yeah. investigation, you know. Um, so, I, I think that's, and that's going to keep happening, I think. So, you you just got to be brace yourself for that. The, the other, Ramification of it, though, and why I think, uh, you know, personal view on why this case was important is that I feel like the parameters of physical contact in the game have gradually been eroded. So first, you know, the bump—it's—it's it's hard to bump now and and get away with it. That's becoming—that's reducing the instances of it and yeah, um, the the prevalence of it now. Game this year, I felt like we went up another level with tackling uh, under attack. And the one that sticks in my head is the Sicily one. I still cannot believe that he got three games for that. Um, A a great tackle which he had little control over what happened to the recipient of that tackle. Um, But this one was sort of like another level again, wasn't it? Because this isn't even a tackle. This is like a smother. And so it's not often I agree with Kane Corns, but I do agree with him. And he's not the only one to bring it up. This thing about are we, are we are we heading to a place where you can fly for a specky and your knee goes in the back of someone's head and yeah. you become responsible for that? So how, how do you feel about that? Oh, yeah. No doubt. And I I think you're right. I think
1: the rule tight next year on slothers. <laughs> now, now there'll be a, a reaction from the AFL because as you said with litigation, they have got to cover all the loopholes. What you probably end up, and there'll be some... Action down the track, whether it's a lead to the head or whatever the case may be, that'll cause a concussion and we'll, and we'll legislate against that. But you can't legislate against every action yeah. uh, on the footy field because yeah. they end up becoming uh, very static and very you know, uh, uh, robotic in many ways. It um, uh, controlled out. One of the great things about our game is the unpredictability with the shaking of ball or the 360 degree game. and. Uh, and where we can kick it and all that sort of thing. So, i yet hate to take that unpredictability out. Now, make it a predictable game, which I don't go. But anyway, I think that it'll it'll tighten it a rule. There's no doubt about that. Uh, as you say, it's bump, tackle. Now, it's, it's going to be a smother. Um It's just going to be spoiling when you go into a spoil uh, marking contest as you need the head, whatever. So, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes up.
0: I'll say one last thing about this, and it's about the coverage of it. Uh, and it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine, but I'm constantly um, befuddled, I guess, by the extent to which uh, the football media refuses to discuss the actual game, but wants to reduce games to a series of talking points. And it's like putting the cart before the horse. I mean, even with the main art thing, why is it important? It's important because of the impact it has on two teams who hope to win a premiership but like the Collingwood Melbourne game the big ramifications out of that game we spent about two seconds talking about that and about you know six years talking about a series of incidents out of that game and I think there's a few explanations for that but I don't know I, I find it I've got to be honest as much as I love footy you know how much I love footy but it, yeah, things like this just drain my enthusiasm for it because you almost end up thinking well the Game's sort of secondary to this uh, yeah. rolling, rolling catalogue of dramatic news out of it, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, trying to squeeze the limit as much as possible. The media then the media reports on the media, so reports on other media. So, this one said this, this one said that, and this will go for another 24 hours because there'll be from um, chance of appeal, but then there'll be analysis today, uh, at least today, uh, what the ramifications and meet her out She'll go and interview the go and interview Short Smith and interview other people with concussions. So you know, drag on, drag on.
0: Well there's, well, there's one more step this could go and that's tomorrow when I see a headline, rocket hits out at media coverage of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
1: it's try to play things up. No. You are the want to shit about the media coverage. You brought it up, not me.
0: I know. Well, I'm good at appearing to hate clickbait while actually fostering it myself. You are. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. all right right, let's move on for god's sake let's move on um all right a couple of other things on the menu now uh interesting rocket the tasmanian team is a reality working towards the 2028 season jack rewalt has officially changed colors becoming the first official employee of the tasmanian football club uh which well still doesn't doesn't have a, a name really but he will lead the creation of the club's culture, and work to unify the state behind the club. That's a weekly job description. Um, they've announced a board of nine people, which includes such names as Alistair Lynch, James Henderson, the sports entrepreneur who manages Chris Fagan and Alistair Clarkson, former tourism Tasmania marketing boss Kath McCann, and Indigenous advisor Graeme Gardner. Now, uh, this uh, piece in Caroline Wilson's story caught My Eye Rocket, it said, it was at a meeting at the Albert Park offices of Henderson six weeks ago where the Rewald appointment had its beginnings. He was one of a number of famous Tasmanian AFL identities at a meeting, including Pete Hudson, Scott Clayton, and Rodney Eade and was asked to put forward his thoughts on what made a great club. So you're, you're mixing an illustrious company there, Rocket. Was it a productive meeting? And it was. Robert Shaw was there as well. Um, so um, a couple of others. But uh, yeah, yeah, Mick Grant O'Brien.
1: Um, actually met him at a at a Hawthorne game uh about a month earlier. Um yeah, it's just some ideas of I suppose just throwing around where where they were at as in or or Grant's thoughts where they're at and where they when they wanted to appoint a board, which is obviously about early September, which is now. Um, and where uh, word was mobilised as quickly as they could. So I think they they seem to be hitting the ground running, which is which is great, got a board. So obviously Jack's gonna do what his uh, what his title is, but it's interesting. Now I would imagine, and looking at that article, Jack will be based in Melbourne, and he'll have to do me- he'll be doing media, and he'll be doing it for three months. So you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that goes in trekking around. I looking for many many footy clubs will be open in December. Talking uh, so it's probably or early January, so it's probably a month and a half. He's got to talk to some clubs, but uh, yeah, but uh, no, he's you know he's a he's a passionate Tasmanian and passionate about the footy, so. Uh, there was no one better who can unify it. It great. I, I must admit, I, I
0: saw the date, 2028. 20, I don't know if you're like me as you get older. You see dates like that and you think, God, will I still be alive then?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think like that. I haven't gotten to that stage. So. <laughs> can,
0: I, can I conclude also from this story that you won't be fulfilling an official role, but you will continue your uh, position as spiritual muse for this new football club? I don't know where it will end up, right, to be honest. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we we know you'll be the you'll be the cultural guru for them. back to All right. Anyway. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Um, some uh, fair bit going on in the coaching world. It's uh, I mean, we're going to start seeing. Well, we are starting to see players cut from lists, but at the moment, there's a the traditional annual end of season coaching merry-go-round. Now, a couple that stood out: Alex Rance. Uh, who's well, amazingly uh, got thrown up as a potential Gold Coast player, but he will be joining Gold Coast and his old mentor Damien Hardwick in some sort of coaching mentor-type role. Uh, but Sean Grigg, a pretty highly rated assistant with Geelong, he has been poached by the Suns, I think, still with a year to go in his contract to join Hardwick up there. And um, there's a lot of movement at one of your old clubs, Rocket North Melbourne. Just take us through yeah, the various moves, yeah. Guys, I Yeah, I think a, two, a two-mile close, North Melbourne and the
1: Bulldogs. So North Melbourne, yeah. it was obviously Brett Racken has, uh, has, has resigned and moved on. Uh, John Blakey has uh, gone as well. Um, Gavin Brown and um, moved on. Fred uh, Harvey's been moved out of the footy department to another role. It's ambassadorial or marketing, I'm not too sure. And they worked with a few part-timers last year, so Josh Gibson and Jonathan Brown aren't doing their part-time role either, so... It's a fairly big broom at Alistair's put through uh, there. So it'll be a lot of uh staff He's taking a bit of a pay cut. Well, I imagine the part-time, which will have a result of Alistair's wage and with the soft cap limit, do uh, a want to pay tax? So he's you taking you a bit of a pay cut. I uh, imagine it's small. And um, and with the soft cap increasing, so it gives him a bit of a scope to get some new countries on board. So there'll be at least three, probably four.
0: Yeah, well... I was going to say, just philosophically, when we read about assistant coaches moving on or whatever, should we always assume it's because the senior coach isn't happy with them and he prefers others, or are there other reasons?
1: Um, generally, the senior coach, but it can be the club. Um, you hear about the Bulldogs, you think, well, maybe there's you know, the they wanted to keep throwing Smith, and, and that wasn't the case. So there's got to be a club. Uh, at certain times there's gonna be a club uh you know, I suppose decision we're in the sale process. So it can be we, one we or the other. Right. I would imagine in the analysis case he's just started uh his second season
0: and uh um, everything strike all it it'd be a huge decision. to some some coaches have a bigger turnover of assistance than others. Did you tune through them? Not really,
1: no yeah, original job, I think in, in the end, he had a bit of a tune, I would be like a coach, I suppose. I suppose the interesting one was Leo Gameron's amigo, I got a real, real use approach by all of them. And I said, oh, for your I developed a little better, and we, we stayed another year, and they came again, but we ran and spoke to you, we came and spoke to you in I said, well, we'd want to be a senior coach, it's good to, A, go to another club, you're going playing the docs with which things but you really only know the line environment. Learn a different language, learn a different thing and now can command nothing development. So I think there's different different cases for different people. Some people just aren't up to it you move them on, you don't get on, you no, know, it's fine. Uh, and they move themselves, but generally my turnover situation you know.
0: Well, interesting times in the coaching landscape, and uh, like I said, we're going to start seeing a lot of players being moved on. Uh, In fact, even as we've been talking this morning, I've seen notifications about a couple, but we might wrap them up at a later stage because we've got a couple of big finals to preview, but first, as promised, we're going to review the seasons of a couple of, well, I guess we call them ex-finalists. Let's do that now. Well, let's start our review talking about Sydney, who finished the season officially eighth on of the ladder after their elimination final defeat at the hands of Carlton. Twelve wins, eleven losses, and a draw percentage of one hundred and ten. They ranked seventh for points for and eighth for points against. Um, okay, the good. I'll I'll have, give you a few headlines. Uh, they were fifteenth on the ladder as late as round seventeen. Uh, They'd won just six and a half games out of 16 at that stage, uh, but had had a few close losses, and they were able to remarkably turn it around and make finals. Um, I think we've seen the continued growth of some of those younger players. Fantastic year by Errol Goulden. Um, Chad Warner, probably not quite to the level of last year, but on the way, I think one positive for a Rocket is it's sort of uh, you know, as incredible a player as he's been. I think things might be easier for them without Lance Franklin because you're going to have the likes of Logan McDonald and Joel Amarty be able to develop free of any concerns about him. So uh, in a nutshell, yeah, pretty ordinary stuff. Their defence and offence wasn't as good this year as last year. They had a shocking year with injuries. Obviously, sadly, Patty McCartan forced to retire. Tom McCartan was out for a fair while. I got blown blown away a few times too. Geelong absolutely smashed them down at the Kattery by ninety three points. But I do look at them overall and think, you know, young list. Uh, a few things went against them this year, which may not happen again. Um, not far off it in the finish, plenty of scope for continued development. How, how do you see?
1: Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I totally agree. And and they could have won last week. Probably should have. made some bad misses. Uh... As well, now they could have been issue by the game. So I think it showed their carriages to fight Back from 15th as you said at one stage and on the ladder. I think the ruck has been an issue for him. Now can't retired. Now he did a great job for a long time but struggled a bit this year. That's why they are going ahead with for Grundy. Grundy, if I was him, and depending on money and all those sorts of things, you can say that's equal, I think Sydney would be a better option for him because he's not a great runner. His biggest concern is his aerobic capacity he can get around the ground. He's not a very fit. A small ground of C, an SCG would suit him immeasurably, And I think that would be better for him as a, as a player to go there.
0: Um, that would yeah, sorry, just let me ask you one on that too. The other thing I was thinking about that is Sydney's track record at bringing in established senior players from other clubs and making them work is second to none. And that's been the case now for 20 years. Is that still as relevant now as it was, you know, like when you were there as coach, sure. uh, Sheriff? relevant of the fact that it still happens, although Yeah, still- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, I yeah, you know, I think they've I think they've done well with it. I think they had a couple of misses, which you, which you always do. But um I think they picked their mark, um, you know, and, and to fill a spot. Um and I I think City have always rated Ruckman, the role of a Ruckman. They've always had two or three. They got got Laddams this year, hasn't worked. Sinclair from West Coast didn't really work they've got Hickey, they've, they've, they've gone out and got Ruckman consistently and so I think they'll make a heavy play for Grundy, obviously give him the number one spot, uh, he'll Ruck most of the time, as I said, the SCG would see him, that would help their midfield, they they didn't uh, do the exceptionally well with clearances, which they've been a clearance team in the past, and a contested ball team so uh, Parker's really the only one consistently that does that, Mills I suppose, to a degree, but they've got a talented, talented youngsters, defensively I think as a Key defender they're looking at because Rabney's getting on, the McCartney retired. So they'll look. I think they're chasing Kyber, they probably won't get him, but they'll they'll look to get a key defender. I don't know how they'll do that with, with the trade situation if they're going to get a lot of collateral for Grundy But I think I agree with you on Franklin. Franklin's been a great player and he, he's done well for Sydney. But I think a Martin, a Donald, and McLean can be, you know, have some growth uh, there as well. Apple's still a good player. So yeah, I, I, I would think next year. They lost to Port of that one was that kick on the sign to, the uh, Florida didn't quite make it. There was another close loss. Uh, probably lucky to beat North Melbourne. Maybe play someone here at
0: uh, at uh, at Marvel. But yeah, you know, I I would think they'll be I think they'll be pushing for to a top four slot next year. Actually, you mentioned McLean because he was terrific in the elimination final. Is he? Um, I must admit that he's such a good mark. I look at him and I think, do you a ruckman or a potentially a key forward? Well, I think he's a short
1: ruckman. I think he could be the players a forward and be the backup if they got Grundy. So Grundy do eighty or eighty percent, and then McLean could go into the ruck and could do that. I don't think he's a number one ruckman because I don't think he's big enough. I think it'll wear him down. But certainly as a player, could go in his his competitor, and he is a good mark. He does he does clunk him. So I
0: think it's I think it's a good find. So if you've got him, McDonald, and uh, uh, Marty, I mean, McDonald, I, I think we'll get there. Something about a Marty, I reckon we've just scratched the surface of his potential. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I do agree. I think they're all, all a little bit different. So in, in, they're not all going to be anchored to the goal square. All want to be anchored. If he got three blocks into that, it's not going to work. Uh, but but a Marty can get up the ground, as can McDonald. We can play that old set of half-four. i off and just play that. As much anymore these days, and certainly don't with the CG. But uh, I think their their mobility and flexibility, and I, I, I you now I think they can develop into quite a uh, imposing forward line. To be honest.
0: All right, so there you go, Sydney. Uh, they didn't suffer in the end the thrashed grand finalist curse, which we were talking about a lot in the early part of a season, and given where things stood quite late in the season. Probably more reasons to be upbeat than uh, downcast, despite being eliminated in the first week of the finals. Okay, so the other team for review this week, and we will keep this going next week when we lose another two, uh, St Kilda, they finish in seventh place, 13 wins, 11 losses and a draw, a percentage of 107.8. This is the interesting one for me. Points against, they were the best defensive team in the competition. Points for... Fifteenth—that's as big a disparity in points for and points against Rocket as I can ever remember. And to me, that sums up where they're at. They've got some good kids coming through. They're great defensively under Ross line, but they're just short of the mark offensively.
1: Yeah, they are. Um, it's interesting though their ball movement from defensive fifty to forward fifty is in the top two or three. So they—well, I, I think it's number one. Actually. Number one. Yeah. So they get there, they get the ball quickly, and obviously with a lack of target there. King hasn't he's missed some games. Uh Members missed games. They just haven't had targets. Uh uh, uh Caminetti's just young. Um and it's shown by last week, just so lack of experience caught up with him. Um so obviously his connection going forward. I I regret the disappointing once again McCreshing and Higgins under under pressure. Your vulnerabilities get exposed and I think they they were already exposed in the finals uh in last week in that game, I think. I, I, I must admit, I didn't see Jack in gets after half time. We yeah. just can't, couldn't remember seeing him. He didn't pose a threat at all. He does like to play for free kick and whatever. He just needs to probably get a bit fitter uh, so he can get up the ground and get back a bit more like the like the modern day skill forward does. Um, look, I think Ross Lyon's done a terrific job what he's got to work with. I don't think it's a great list. I think he's not going to say that publicly, but I think he knows that himself. Their midfield is slow. Really slow, that's why they've got to play Sinclair. Sinclair's best spot is off half back, but they've got to try him into the midfield because they are slow. Jack was a terrific player, he's not quick, but he's, he's a he's a he's you know, he's a good player. But there's not much other support. Sid Ross is okay, but he's not a great kick, so they need to beef that up. Um, defensively, they've got a good system, so they probably would like another defender, but probably more. You know, if King can set up, remember, he can get, get back and be okay. Cooper Sharman showed a bit last week. That might be okay, but I think it's, and he made mention in my slime, I think it's just slow build. I don't, What like they may sit back next year, but it won't be a negative if they don't sit back too far. So, you know, if they're, if they were, say 10th and above, if even if they miss the eight next year and they show signs of improvement and go young again, I I, I think that will dip will go down, then they'll come back up pretty quickly.
0: Well, it's interesting. You, you, uh, William Henry, Fremantle, uh well test to call him star, but he's nominated St Kilda as his club of choice. You can understand why they'd be desperate to get a guy like that, just someone with some explosive talent and you know, a bit of spark because they, they really lack it. I, I, I'm interested in their... Um... They... Yeah, go on. No, that's right. But, and he's played on a wing,
1: so they've got... And obviously he knows Brad Hill, so that's a that's a for him. Uh, so you've got Brad Hill who's, who's resurrecting himself under Ross Line. Um but Liam Henry's got some got some tricks, can play the wing spot, can run really well, got some speed. Uh I don't think he's a small forward, but he's but as a you know, a guy who can who can treat his issues from back to forward, I think it's a I think it's a good pickup.
0: Uh we saw some other positives with the the season of Wanganun Malera. He he was terrific for him. Marcus Windhager continues. To develop an interesting one for me, and you know, here you know, I, I think he's a terrific player. But I look at a guy like Mitch Owens and I sort of think, wh- where are you going to end up? And are you going to be one of these unfortunate guys that ends up being a bit compromised by the fact that you're not quite this and you're not quite that? You know, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think if King's going to stand up, maybe another forward, whoever that be, if it's not memory, if it's Cooper Sharma, Mitch Owens becomes the third tool, a bit like um, uh, a bit like check at Collingwood. Yeah, if my check play the number one or two, if, if Owens can play the number three spot because of his ability to run as well, he's a difficult matchup. But if he's got to play the key, well, he gets a better player. I think so. I think he can. Yeah, uh, you know, it's only his first year. I think he can be a really good player. So um, I think yeah, uh, hopefully he's got the support around. I think he'll develop. I think he'll keep improving, but. He's a good competitor. He takes
0: it with Mark. He reads the game pretty well. An important qualifier too on their scoring potential. They didn't have Max King for about half a season. So hopefully you get him up fully fit and it makes a bit of a difference to their scoring potential next year. But uh, I, I was looking at those numbers during the week and I was thinking, well, you're not going too far in a final series if you're ranked 15th for scoring.
1: No, that's right. They need to be able to lift their scoring up and they do rely heavily on turnover. Which which is the modern game, and they've got some they've got some speed on the outside. If they can transition the ball quicker, they're a mark kick game, mark kick game to to actually pitch. But they go around a boundary a lot. But if they can just add a little bit of speed, but another good midfield that's that's their main aim. Right.
0: All right. Well, uh, all up, still a positive season for the Saints. I don't think many people expect them to feature prominently, if at all, in the top eight. So a pretty good comeback to the club first up from Ross Lyon, and uh, as you say, it be really interesting to see what they do list-wise over the next few weeks. Alright, well they're gone, but uh, six teams surviving, two of them through to preliminary finals, and four others play off to survive into week three. Two big finals, let's preview them. On Footyology previews with Punch. Massive first semi-final at the MCG on Friday evening, 7.50pm the start time. It is Melbourne taking on Carlton. The Demons having lost that qualifying final to Collingwood by uh, 7 points, wasn't it, on the Thursday evening. Carlton winning their nail-biting elimination final against Sydney by 6 points. Played each other twice this season and the score has won a piece uh, quite recently, in fact, round 22 and that dramatic finish with the controversial goal review and Christian Petrarca's shot, was it or was it not, touched by Caleb Marchbank. But the scoreboard says the Blues won that game by four points. Uh, prior to that loss, Melbourne had won eight games against the Blues in a row. Uh, what about the venue? Melbourne at the MCG. 19 wins from 28 appearances since the start of last year. Carlton's record of the G was pretty ordinary early on, but like their record everywhere, it's got a lot better this season. They have won six now, uh, lost three, and drawn one this season. Uh, we'll talk about personnel issues because they're pretty major. But uh, your initial thoughts on this match-up, Rocket?
1: Uh,
0: initial thoughts is
1: both teams losing two players. Uh, Mackay and Martin and yeah and Bray of Van Ruin and who's gonna have the bigger influence. Just so that's people that just so they nullify each other out. Um I would I was really disappointed in Melbourne last week. You keep doing the same thing over and over again to get the same result. What why don't you change? Like Melbourne, have they that many more inside fifties than the opposition? Well, they're gonna they've gotta got explore it. What's the reason? And I looked at them closely last week. They don't come to the middle at all, even if it's on. Um, They they change direction, go out the other side, play around the boundary. Once they're held up, they don't look into what I call basketball and around the arc or ship it around And Collingwood did, secured it, tried to. GWS did it very well just to to pierce it, to get in within 35, 40 metres. Just bomb the ball, just kick it long. Collingwood knew what they were going to do. Collingwood were there outnumbering them every time they won every ground ball. The only time Melbourne looked uh, dangerous is when they got a little bit of flow into the game where they'd mark and they play on, get a handball, and then they'd kick it along. But what they were able to do then was get a two-on-two two, or a three-on-three three, or a one-on-one. On one. They, they, Collingwood went out and get the numbers back. They still didn't pass the ball, but it got them an opportunity to score. But to me, they playing old-school footy where they defend with ball with hand. Yeah. They are defending, so they slow Everyone sets up behind, so therefore the opposition can't score. And Collingwood couldn't get it out, but they defended well themselves.
0: Yeah, it seems like a self-defeating strategy when your midfield is as good as theirs is, and you're you're able to generate that amount of inside fifties. Why would you do that?
1: Exactly. Okay. And their forward line, with all due respect, have got some injuries, so you've got to give them a chance to kick a goal. I mean, they haven't got six foot seven guys there who can mark the ball. Uh, you know, Fritch. Took a great mark on Darcy Moore, but that was a two-on-two, two and he did it really well. He bodied and kicked a goal right there at the end. But generally, it's just platforms. like pack they, they just they just bomb the ball in. And so it's not getting their forwards like, they don't change angles. Collingwood, when they got them on the run, then they kicked on the angle because Melbourne defended in a straight line. They kicked it. Ellie was by himself. Other guys were on the angle on the other side
0: of the ground. So they've got to change things up. So, so when you're talking about bombing the ball in, are they bombing the ball in from the same spots or is it just through the same spots? Probably both.
1: Yeah, both. They're, they're just outside 50. They're yeah. 60, 70 out. And they're kicking, they call call skinny. They're kicking it towards the front base. are not kicking it towards the corridor. So if they don't mark it in their mind, well, or their stoppage or we can force it or the Collingwood or the opposition haven't got a free run to come out. Um, but Collingwood were good enough to pick up every ground ball. I mean, they they just had numbers back, and they they had a system to be able to work the ball out. So um, yeah, it's just uh, it was just very
0: frustrating if you're a Melbourne sport. This might be naive uh, tactical talk, but I'm keen to run it by a coach. What about the idea of drawing the defenders back towards the goal face, and then getting those midfielders who are bombing it in? To go the extra 10 meters inside the 50 themselves and take the shot themselves. It's passable to them, you mean? Pass no. No, I mean I mean the likes of Petrarca, Oliver, et cetera, getting to 40 meters and having a crack themselves. Cut out the middleman sort of thing.
1: Oh, that's often remarks when you in or pay you mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they they do. I'm talking about when they market, like Max Gordon it, when guys on marking market get 60, 70 out. They don't look to pass the ball inside fifty. Yeah. They're just they're just kicking the ball up. And that you'll find if you've got extra numbers in there anyway, or defenders are smart enough. If boards are going to non dangerous spots, say it's the other side of the ground or back to the goals where defenders will will stay in front, will stay in front and block the dangerous space. So uh but I think Petrarca and these guys all they've got to do, and it's so as easy it sounds, but either get the ball lateral then try and piece the ball to forty meters out as you're saying and then have a shot from there. Instead of kicking it long from sixty or seventy to a pack formation, they haven't got the cattle to be able to do that now. And um
0: so on that aspect, I'm,
1: I'm leaning towards and leaning Cup.
0: Yes. Well, well let's have a let's have a chat about the blues. I'll just quickly touch on personnel because as you say, uh Melbourne with big forward issues now, no Van Ruyen, he's suspended, no Melksham out for the season, no Petty. Uh Ben Brown has returned to full training. He will have to be at least considered, you think. Do they consider Grundy again as a key forward or do they run Grundy in the ruck and make Dawn a de facto key forward? And of course, as you say, Brayshaw. Uh, I suspect that Brayshaw and Van Ruyen in structural terms is a bigger blow than Carlton losing Mackay, who hasn't been great, let's be honest, and Martin, although even though Martin really gives their forward mix something else, but... They've got to come up with a couple of replacements there. They reckon Jack Silvani should be available, so you think he's probably the one who replaces Martin. That's a bit like for like, I guess. Interesting how they, what the philosophy is about replacing Mackay, or do they think we don't need to replace him, we might have been a bit top-heavy anyway?
1: Yeah, you know, Mackay missed those two easy shots, which probably could not round him which came off a bit, and they were horrible misses. Um, yeah, I think... Yeah, they were, and the fan line didn't do a lot, but they'll miss the structure. I think Brown is probably the obvious one. Then you've got Brown and McDonald, who both haven't played a lot of footy uh, up forward. And both probably aren't great uh, defensively, as in chasing forwards. So the form might come out a little bit easier. But, um, so, so they've got the issues there. It'll depend on, and if the rumours are true, whether Gore and Oliver are carrying uh, minor complaints, but most players are, but. I, I was disappointed in Oliver's game last He ended up with the most possession, but he just—he didn't handle like he normally. He used to handle too much. Now he's just kicking the ball. He just wanted the ball consistently, and I think Max Ball needs to handle the ball. Well, he grabs it out of the rack and just kicks it. He was the opposition marked most of those balls. He needs to feed it off to runners. He needs to feed it off to Petraka or uh, uh, other players around him. Um, rather than just kick the ball because he's six foot twenty, and he's not going to kick it too far. Um, I think at times he can he can get you know, especially earlier and special but I think he needs to feed the ball off to Dyson running up, running up the ground.
0: I think one impressive thing about Carlton last week and increasingly is the spreading of the load. So like yeah, Cripps didn't have a big game turno at little influence and yet, yeah, the likes of cultural Acres, even a guy like and and I did um uh I, I spoke to him after the game, but Chin Cotter, you know, his ability to help shut down the small forwards, um, they've got a lot of role-playing types who are really making a contribution and that, you think, gives them a chance too, the Blues.
1: Yeah, for sure. I've got no doubt about that. And, the, and both both teams rely on contest, and both are uh, probably a bit defence now. Well, defence is better, but I think they defend with ball over the hand, so that helps their defence and some mechanisms. But the contested ball, which is grips Kennedy and Gerrard had a good game last week. So, they'd, so the midfielders at Walsh had a really good game. So, um, it I think it'll be a, a fight there. I reckon it'll be. Both teams were poor out last week. The team that takes the chances. And I reckon they're pretty even. Both play contests. Both, think uh, Melbourne, probably defended a little bit better than Carlton. We actually start. But uh, I think whoever can take the right opportunities, like which you've got no confidence in either one, do it, um, uh, so I think game style for me of Carlton, where they're prepared to move the ball a little bit more quickly than what Melbourne do, and prepared to use a couple of times, and maybe just give them the edge.
0: You know, i was smiling as you say that because it's like one of these indisputable truths of football, and we tend to laugh about this line and and parrot it as a cliche and get all sarcastic about it. But bag kicking. Is bad football, and and every final last weekend sort of demonstrated that you just got to lower your chances. You only and get so many.
1: Everyone coaches ask what's the most important set. I still think the most important step is your accuracy for goal. You've got, you're, you're going to get some opportunity, no matter how bad you are in this competition. You're going to get some shots at goal. So if you like well, Brisbane last week, you know, I've been six and one wins. like that's so unheard of, especially with some nice people on their side. But you can take your opportunities. And the second most important stat, I reckon, is your efficiency or the kick going inside 50. Yeah. If you can retain that ball somehow rather than just bomb the ball. So they have the two motions at the moment that Melbourne haven't
0: got going for. It. So, very, very quick one because this is a long discussion we can have one day. But if coaches are aware of that and the game is so professional now and then they're aware of all the various things you can do to improve it, why doesn't it get better? Jenny, worse can.
1: Yeah, it's getting worse. it's getting yeah. it's got worse. It, yeah, it, it, over the years and when I was coaching, people say well, everything's improving except goal kicking. It was about the same. The last year or two, it's actually got worse. It's that the goal kicking is actually the goal kicking this year has been
0: abysmal. Well, it's do it. players? Uh, do, do players and coaches devote enough time on the track to it? Do you think? No, have, no, no. Not at all. Well, why not? No. exactly.
1: It's it's like putting in golf. you, know, you putt for dough, so. You're actually gulking it's, it's it's called scoreboard pressure so I don't I don't now there's various reasons the sports side so will sometimes don't allow you too many kicks or whatever. I don't think enough players practice their routines. I can see where they're coming in and they're flipping the ball around in their hands. To me they've got no routine. Matthew Lloyd to me was the ultimate of having a routine even under the roof he'd throw the brass off. but that was part of his routine. He knew exactly what he's going to do. He's locked in he did kick the same no matter whether he was 25 metres out or 50 metres out. So he had a perfect routine and he kicked at 70% or under, over 70%. That these players now are not even kicking 50 Some of them. Like it's I, just horrible.
0: I, I also don't buy this stuff about the sports science guys. I mean, don't tell me when you were coaching the Bulldogs and the sports science guy came to you and said, Oh, you know. Oh, exactly. Mm. I agree with you totally.
1: I agree. You you That's what sports to scientists on. say. It can only yeah. but it's like But it's like a cricket bowler, like a bowler in cricket who's in the nets. Well, he becomes attuned by bowling so many balls in the dead and in a game, so he's getting his body. So to say with the with a kicking motion. All of well, that's what I that's what I'm paid to do. So have a hundred kicks, have a hundred kicks. You look at a tear of thigh if you do the right warm up and you do the right weights and do everything like that. that. That's what I'm paid to do. So kick the goal, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's amazing, it's amazing,
0: mystifying. I love your old school attitude to this. No touchy feely cuddly stuff for you. <laughs>
1: Oh, there's no big money. Like oh, as you as a supporter of your, your people are paying membership fees, and we've got sponsorships. It's not a, it's not an amateur competition. I couldn't agree. I couldn't would agree you, more. Could not you, agree. Dads, put big boy pants on, guys. It's, you get paid. Well, you get paid five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. And you want a sookie low lady you would miss a goal.
0: Well, last last one on this, so, and the example I cited, and you tell me because you played with him, but Jason Dunstall was famous for just doing an incredible amount of golf. I,
1: he'd have buckets and buckets of balls yeah. on, on the off night. He'd just go down and just get his routine up. There There's two things to it. There's have your routine, right? And then there's a the mental aspect as well. And then there's the able to practice thinking, you know, the biomechanics of it. But have a have a routine and, and that technical side, if you're dropping the ball incorrectly or whatever, but then be goal-practice. I and mean, don't don't change your routine. Just once you got it down perfect, that's what you got to.
0: Well, you heard it, folks. One of the great coaches, get out and practice your damn goal-kicking. All right, we better, uh, we better tip for this game. We got sidetracked a bit there, but it was a good discussion. Who are you tipping? Um, Carlton by seven points. Carlton by seven points. All right, we differ on this one because uh, you remember off the top of the head, we talked about this here. Everyone jumps off the qualifying final loser. Uh, I I really think it's going to be neck and neck. Anyone's going. but um, demons top four for a reason. I think they can just get over the line. So I'm going for Melbourne to win by two points. Ah! All right, let's talk the second semi final. It's in Adelaide. It's Saturday evening, seven forty p.m. Eastern time. Port Adelaide taking on GWS. Uh, Port Adelaide, uh, pretty emphatic losers in the qualifying final against Brisbane, up at the Gabba. GWS, good win over St Kilda in the elimination final at the MCG by 24 points. Head-to-head, well, they met again, like up Melbourne, same weekend actually, round 22. And it was a, uh, speaking of emphatic, emphatic win to the power by 51 points. A slant on seven goals to three in that first quarter. Uh, Port have won the last four meetings with GWS. And Adelaide Oval is a pretty considerable home ground advantage for them too. They've won 11 of their last 14 games there. Uh, GWS at Adelaide Oval overall are seven wins and nine losses. And they're 1-1 this year because prior to the Port game, they did have a good win over Adelaide. In fact, that was a great win, comeback win, which uh, again, they won by 14 points. But like I said, lost to Port by 51 points in round 22. We'll talk personnel shortly. Um, but this is a an even more interesting one, Rocket. I think this game, more than the other one, you're going to see people jumping off the bandwagon of the qualifying final loser and uh, embracing the elimination final winner. And, uh, well, GWS's great record on the road would have a fair bit to do with that as well, I'd think. What do you reckon?
1: Yeah, I, I would think GWS might start favourites of this. Um, they had you know, a couple of injuries last year.
0: I don't week. think they are. I don't think they are, no. But... No. Um,
1: yeah, I would be now i will be back, um, you would think. Uh Ports, maybe Dixon might be back. You'll you'll update us on that in a minute, Roll. Um they'll lose a couple, um obviously as well. So uh they were disappointing for it, though they lost three players in ninety seconds, which uh, which didn't help them and their goalkeeping, you know, Marshall kicked it kicked it horribly. Um really the and and Ollie Lord was an impressive up forward as a youngster in his first final. But really, except for Rosie and Butters, you just worry about where they're going to get some drive and where they're going to get uh, that next factor to win the game. Where where the Giants have got a mixture of both. They've got match winners and they've got role players. we mentioned about role players before of Carlton, but Bedford and Daniel are playing exceptionally good roles. Iden down back has been he's been a revelation. Uh, they've got the three defenders who. Buckley is underrated. Taylor's a really good player and Iden who will stop us. Then they've got the Ash. Ash is fantastic go oh, and Ash and Whitfield from down back last week setting the player. Um Callahan's really come on as a youngster. He's playing a really good footy. They stepped up last week with Accamelia
0: and and they and they didn't miss a beat. Um, well, just just on that, you just as you're doing the roll call of names here, I was just thinking Buckley, Iden, Ash. They are three guys who that must be up around fifty games or over fifty games. That'd be three of the least visible players in the AFL yet. Pretty good. Oh yeah, Lucky Ash is a
1: winner really the player. Good user of the ball. And uh, so I mean, if Paul decide to tag one of then they're gonna tag Whitchfield, so they are got to let Ash off as well. Uh Callahan have got back to a is you really good player. You got Kelly who was a match winner last week. Um you know Cornelio ward uh, in the middle as well. So they've got a really good midfield uh no no going through there. Hogan is still iffy for me up forward. Um uh they uh the okay he's he's come on. We've got Toad Green as a star. we have got the two small as I said so they've got a good mix. Riggs is Riggs was super impressive last week. He was towered up on the first quarter by Marshall. But showed a bit uh mental toughness to come back and really had an influence on the guard so they so they've got most bases covered i, I know i really like what they what they've got the report last week i was really disappointed in jeremy thing it was he was really poor he just it's like he just didn't want well to at the contest. he got exposed last week and it, it would be interesting to see whether he still close at the time this week well, oh really yeah. who would there well who would did well, Dick? Well, I, and if dixon comes back who goes i suppose well, Marshall plays or not.
0: Let's talk about that personal while you provide the segue for that. So Dixon, they're talking him up. Um, I guess there'll be a, you know, a key training session for him a bit closer to game day, but it um, hasn't played since round 20. Uh, so that could be an issue. But the other big issue for them, we haven't really touched on this yet, Port are really vulnerable defensively. I think they're only 12th for fewest points conceded, which is unusually poor for a, an aspiring Premier. Brisbane kicked 19 goals against them, and uh, in the process, McKenzie injured, and he's 50-50, and Dylan Williams injured, and, yeah, gee, they're saying he's been cleared of any significant muscle injury, but hamstring, geez, I don't know. He won't play. Yeah, well, Okay, so you
1: have a look at McKenzie last week and they they, they never mentioned his name, but Hip would just led up on him all the time. And McKenzie just let him go, he just got that much ball. So if he plays, I'm I'm thinking GWS are no explosion. They they just lead up on him and just whether it's Hogan or whether it's Ricardi or whoever it may be, just keep it up all the time and he just drops off them. Like he's he's tough and he's 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 good in the air, uh and he persists and competes, but he just lets him lead up all the time and So unlike you, I just don't know uh, their defenders who will go and take their spots.
0: Well, I guess uh, in a a coaching sense, their hope, and this must be to an extent what they've been relying on all year, is to dominate territory. And I think they're just about the best territory team in the competition. They're very highly ranked at all those uh, occupying territory measures. And offensively, I think they're number three for... Scored behind Adelaide and Brisbane. So, um, is it going to come down to them requiring absolute top notch games from all of Rosie Butters, Horn Francis, and Drew? So,
1: yes, I agree. And then uh, Bush Wines outside, of Wines is on a win. And I don't think that's his best spot. No, it's not. Um- no, it's not. And I think he can get exposed, with Callahan or whoever it may be, out of the wing. And uh, so it shows you how much he's dropped off from his Brown Medal. It's only a couple of years ago. Like he's mm-hmm. not the seen snare that often. Yeah. That's his best spot because he's a he's a strong, robust player. Um so yeah, I think it's those those first two Rosie and Butters really important. Francis, he's still having a kid, so he can be dynamic, um, but he's still gonna be inconsistent with in the state. So and that Dursma hasn't really, you know, people talk about him as the third youngster with those other two, and he's not in their class. He's not anywhere near them. He, he had a down game last week, so yeah, I don't know where that'll come from. That spark, you know, that uh, you know, they've got good role players. I don't think they've got enough of the top end challenge. Uh, at either end, they've got Rosie Butters, but I don't know where the rest of it's going to come from, to be honest.
0: Yeah, you know, the other, I'm talking myself out of what I was going to tip here, but <laughs> the other the other thing about GWS that just has them cherry ripe for this is, yeah, okay, it's a hostile environment, it's a final, you're playing away, blah, blah, blah. They've played 11 venues this year, and uh, they've had 14 games away from home venues and won eight of them. And even then, some of their home games are in sort of relatively unfamiliar surrounds and they've won them. So they've just, they've played everywhere. They've won everywhere. They're used to having no support. So all those things that you automatically mark down as factors against the away team or whatever, don't really apply to them, do they? I think that's significant.
1: Yeah. And it was interesting what Toby Green said during the week, he's played in better sides, but he said, this is the one I trust the most. So... So he's got trust in those youngsters, and that's what we what they demand. Of and it's even Hogan and Ricardi and these these guys. That's what we want. We want you know, we want to contest. Now he might play well, but we want to know that you're still going to compete. And um, and that's why like Ward has been really great. He's been a great warrior for them, and he had filters through the team. So, yeah, I I know I shouldn't go against a qualifying loser, which I I'm a big believer that they finished top four for a reason, but. Uh, Uh, maybe leaning towards GWS to see what you say about the injuries you've got an update totally on that?
0: Yeah well uh, I mentioned the Port situation so still very much wait and see on McKenzie and Williams and even whether they roll the dice on Dixon but you can tell by the way we're talking about it all three of those calls are going to be a calculated risk aren't they and GWS really healthy and in fact going to get better still because Stephen Cornelio was the the weight withdrawal with that eye injury, and he um, is almost certain to be declared fit to play. So uh, a big plus for them as well. So personnel-wise, I think GWS definitely holding the aces there. So, um, And the other one I missed in that midfield was Tom Grant. Yeah, that's so, uh, a considerable so, midfielder. And
1: he had, so he's their, their bullet go there, the contestant bullet beast, and then you've got... You've got Kelly and you've got Lord and you've got Canilio and you've got Galahad. So they've got a really good midfield as well. So interesting to see where what Drew does. You talk about tactics. Uh, Drew could go to Kelly, but then they can play Kelly as a high forward. Drew goes with him and then just plays an extra midfield. opens up their forward. So there's a whole range of things they can do with Drew to, uh, for their own benefit. So I'm interested to see how GWS react to that. Will and who? I knew you'd go say that. You're not the, you're the same joke.
0: Just do you're it. You're not a very good comedian. You kick out of the same spots. Look, I give you the entree. Just give us a punchline. Who are Will Willem, who? Willem Drew. Thank you. I <laughs> you know, don't have to sound so enthusiastic about it. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> you did it last week. You don't need to do it again, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, give us a tip then. GWS by 13 points. Gee, you hesitated over that one. You you worried about the time-honoured uh, qualifying final? No, no,
1: no. I'm confident.
0: All right. GWS, 13 points. That's a big margin for you, isn't it? I oh, know Actually, I'm the one that goes the conservative margins. All right. Well, I am sticking with the uh, traditional finals maxim that the qualifying final loser finishes top four for a good reason. Absolutely no disrespect to the Giants. I think they've been fantastic. And... Uh, hats off to you, Rodney e. Do You call that very early. They, they have been terrific and um, look out in the next couple of years with them. Uh, by the way, just quickly, Adam Kingsley, if he isn't the coach of the year, I'll eat my hat. He's, got, He's done a really good He's done a fantastic job. When you talk about
1: uh, where Sydney were out in Long Longmire coming back on 15th, but they were similar, one of the Giants, I think, went through the first 10 or through the first nine or something like that.
0: Yeah, around 12, they were 15th on the ladder. Yeah,
1: yeah. so they have been. Um, So they've really picked up, and uh, you turned them into an entertaining side as well, Uh, apart from being hard to play against. uh, And they they've got a good game style, but they 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 they
0: put it at both ends of the ground, and the midfield they've got all bases covered. So, all right. And for all that, I'm tipping their opponent. (laughs) I'm going for I go for Port Adelaide by six points. But again, toss of the coin, and uh, yeah, look. We're, we're, we're going opposites on both those games, but they are both potentially absolute nail-biter. So, uh, fingers crossed, we get not only close games, but really high-quality games as well. Thanks, Rocket. Um, good working with you again. I'll allow you to return to your real job as spiritual muse of the new Tasmanian team. Thank you very much. I like appreciate that. <laughs> spiritual, spiritual, spiritual spiritual gurus. People. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> about that. Yeah. Uh, All right, and uh, and good luck everyone whose teams are playing and uh, enjoy the footy. If you're not, like all of us neutrals, we'll chat to you again next week.